0: Good morning, fellowship. Good morning. Uh, welcome those online, those in platinum, wherever you are on the four corners of the earth. Uh, we're about to open up God's Word. And remember, whenever that happens, whether you're reading the Bible by yourself or you're hearing the Word expounded, remember this. There is an operation, a surgery taking place. For the Word of God is double-edged. It cuts both ways. It afflicts the comfortable and it comforts the afflicted. So let's uh, ask God's Holy Spirit to do his healing work within us as we look at God's word. Father in heaven, we come to you from all different places, those who are searching but yet have not quite found Jesus yet, to those who have found him but fallen away, drifted, to those who are walking well with Jesus. And it's been a great week filled with much joy in the salvation that God brings. Wherever we are, Lord, do your work by your spirit. Afflict us who are comfortable. Comfort us who are afflicted. That we have, will have our hearts lifted up for, uh, for you and your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me tell you about Stan. Stan came to our church years ago. And he soon after he arrived, he told me, he said, Ray, I've come to a point in my spiritual life where I know now I don't sin anymore. I said, Stan, I've never met a sinless Christian yet. You're the, my first one. And, uh, and it was interesting that he was a man who claimed he got to that point where he doesn't sin. And uh, he, within months, that was very interesting. He, he worked out that everybody at church, including me, was not a genuine born-again believer, now, I said, Stan, tell me about that. How, why do you think that? He said, well, when, someone was, when, the, when, the, when the service leader, pastor, was praying, someone was stretching. They mustn't be born again. Really? Yeah, yeah. I said, any, any others? Yes, yes. He said, when you were preaching, someone was yawning. <laughs> I'm looking around here. A few of you going to hell as well, by the sounds of it. <laughs> and, uh, and he pretty much worked out that everyone at church was not a genuine born-again believer. And you know what? I'm really thankful to God for a Sinless Stan. You know why? Because he made me appreciate Jesus' words in Matthew 7, verse 1. And what are they? Do not judge, or you too will be judged. And here we are, years later, talking about Sinless Stan. It's not his real name. So why doesn't Jesus want us to judge? Well, for a start, what does he mean by it? Now, Jesus doesn't mean you can't call out sin, Seriously, for the last two chapters in the Sermon of the Mount, he's been nailing one sin after another. Anger, murder, lust, adultery. For those who don't forgive, they're not forgiven. And so it clearly can't be that. No, no, do not judge why, because we are not God. He sits on the throne, not us. Do not judge because God is, for example, all-knowing and we are not. We can't see round corners. You're at a mall. Someone you know walks past, doesn't say hello. You think, man, that person's rude, not realising, A, the person mightn't have seen you, or B, even if they did see you, they just discovered that their brother had cancer and they're really upset. But we quickly go to judgement. You send an email, a difficult email to someone. Two weeks later, you still haven't got a response. You're thinking, rude or disorganised? No, they just didn't get the email. It went straight to their junk mail. We jump to quick conclusions and wrongly base our judgments. I worked in a workplace where there were two toilets, and one had a washing basin inside the toilet, the other one outside. So we used to have new people, visitors would come in, and they'd go in, and you can tell when they come out, there's one person who goes and washes his hands, and he sees the other person walking out of the toilet and going straight out. And you know what he's thinking? How disgusting, that person didn't wash his hands. Not realising there was a wash basin in there. Do not judge. Why? Because we just don't have all the information. Do not judge. Why? Because we don't know the hearts of people. People's motives are off limits to you. You've got to understand that. Only God knows the heart. You barely know your own motives, let let alone anyone else. Learn to think the best. All we have are people's words and actions that we can speak to but not the heart. And if you're a particularly sensitive person, if you've been particularly hurt by someone, it'll be very easy to constantly think the worst of this person's motives. Quick to put a negative spin on what they're saying. Quick to put them in a box. They'll never change. If you've got... You know, have you heard of emotional intelligence? People who can read... And relate well to people emotionally and can read the room well, it's very easy for those kind of people to judge those with low EQ who do find it hard. People who say so maybe on the Asperger spectrum, for example, who are very good at getting a job done but probably struggle to relate in relationships. They say half of NASA's got Asperger's and uh, we're kind of glad about that because that gets the job done really well. And I remember one person who's on the spectrum, they said, you know, if it wasn't for us, The rest of you will be still in caves talking about your emotions. (laughs) Do not judge. Why? Because we have built within us a cultural bias. We see the world through the lens of our particular culture. And we then wonder why other people don't think like we do. This is what we're battling with in Dubai all the time. 200 nations brought together and we're all bumping into each other thinking why we're so different and falling into judgment. I've got a friend back in Australia. His name is Vietnamese friend called Newt. And uh, and I said to him, Newt, what's this thing about, you know, blowing your nose without a handkerchief? What's going on there, man? He said, well, what's it about blowing your nose in a handkerchief, then putting it in your pocket? (laughs) Then pulling it out and blowing some more, it's not. I mean, that's disgusting. I said, you're right, it is disgusting. I never saw. Let's compromise and go for tissues. (laughs) At staff, we're doing some lovely training with a dear brother called Marco, and he's training us to be cultural learners, not cultural critics. And can I say, that is a very Christ-like thing to do. Uh, I think Jesus says, when he says do not judge, what he means is, don't have a critical and judgmental spirit. You know, don't have that constant negative criticism, that uninvited negative criticism Whenever you're around people, you know, that, 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 that desire to be quarrelsome, always looking for a fight, always ready to snap on someone's failure, uh, showing contempt for those who don't believe exactly what you believe and looking down on them. God is their judge and yours. They are his servants. They will have to give an account to him, not to you. And it's like, that's right, I've got to get into my head. I'm not the judge. Jesus is. Now, Paul, speaking to a church that was splitting over, this day is holy, that day is holy, this food is clean, that food is clean, he says to them in Romans 14, you then, why don't we say this together? You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. But it can feel, doesn't it, one, with some people, one wrong move, say one wrong thing the wrong way, bang, you're gone, like a mousetrap snapping its, on your fingers. Think of how Christians have torn each other apart over the last hundred years. Think of all the conflict we've had over food, cleaner and clean, um, baptism, politics, clothes, vaccination, church music. Bible translations, age of the earth, judging those who raise their hands in praise. Oh, there's such (laughs) show-offs. Judging those who don't raise their hands, they're not filled with the Spirit. (laughs) So many rights, so many wrongs, so many do's, so many don'ts. Give me a break. (laughs) I love the freedom we have in fellowship that's been created, that culture that's been created over 15 years that allows us to stay focused on the main game and live with the differences that we have. I once lived in a house that had a faulty alarm. It would just turn itself on in the middle of the night, which means that if you're in bed and you move just a little bit, the alarm would go on. So once you notice the alarm was triggered back on, you basically didn't move. You're like frozen in bed. It was so uncomfortable. But you know what? That's what it's like to be in a judgmental church. And some of you have come from churches like that. And I tell you, one wrong move, bang, you're gone. Friends, the world loves to judge Christians. Let's not not judge one another. Hyenas eat their own. We're not hyenas. And it always comes back to you. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 7 verse 1. It says 7-7, it's actually verses 1 and 2. I made a mistake. It says this, Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The measure, the rule that you judge others by, guess what? God's going to use that against you. You don't forgive others, well, God won't forgive you. So you want to play that game of judge? Be careful because that's the same criteria I'm going to use against you. And we that's true being judged by others, and it's true being judged by God. Remember they say, you've heard this, for every finger that judges someone, there's always how many pointing back? There's always three. There's always three. The measure you use will be used against you. Now, driving in Dubai is a good example for me. I fall into this trap every time I drive. I'm driving, and someone out of the blue just cuts right in front of me, no indicators, no warning, just shaves the front of my car off, almost. And I'm thinking, man, I want justice. Where's a policeman? I just want that person. I want that person thrown into jail for 20 years. And then 10 minutes later, I nearly run over a pedestrian. A pedestrian just walking. I didn't see them. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I want justice here. I want mercy there. Make up your mind, Galer. <laughs> and while you're at it, don't judge yourself. How dare you judge you after Jesus has declared you're not guilty? You know, and that's why, to those who've got particularly sensitive consciences, your biggest enemy is you. <laughs> And you, and you sometimes need to give yourself a good talking to. That when God says you're forgiven, guess what? You're forgiven. He can't make a promise and not keep it. He can't say a word and it not be true. We're not God. We don't know everything. But you know what we do know? Our own sin. And that ought to keep us humble. Look at Matthew 7 verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You, what? hypocrite! First take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck. From your brother, Zoe. Jesus can be so funny sometimes. He has he has an image here of two people walking towards each other. One with this big pole sticking out of their eye, and another person who's just got a little speck. And the guy who's got the pole sticking out of his eye says, "Whoa, there, bro! Oh my goodness, you've got that disgusting speck in your eye. Please let me take it out." While you've got this big plank hanging out of your eye. But that's a funny image. And here's the principle I think Jesus is saying. Whenever, whenever you speak to someone, always assume you're the biggest. biggest sinner. Whenever you speak to someone, always assume you're me as the biggest sinner. And you know why? It has to be this way. Because even with someone you're married to, let, let alone anybody else, you only have a slice of their life. But we, you're with you 24-7. You think about it. You know everything you've thought this last week. You know every word you've said, and not all of it's been good. You know every deed you've done, public and private. So by definition, whenever you speak to someone, you're always the biggest sinner. Even the posture we have. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 3, in the Beatitudes? He says, blessed are the what? Poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The posture we have is one we know we're spiritually bankrupt. I come to you as someone who knows that we're not for the grace of God. I'd be on a roller coaster to hell right now. As a young Christian, um, I ask God to uh, help me uh, take away the desire to smoke. What are you looking at? Stop judging me. You want this again? It's not mine. I borrowed it from somebody's. They will remain nameless. No. God in his kindness took that desire away. Within a couple of weeks, soon after I became a follower of Jesus, I was so thankful and haven't smoked since. But you know what? Soon after that desire went away and I stopped smoking, it was interesting. When I bumped into the odd Christian who did smoke... What do you think my posture was towards them? Looking down, showing contempt, thinking myself better than them, being a little bit self righteous, until I remembered those sins that I knew, that God knew, but that they couldn't see. Sins that I was battling with but not having particular victory over. Sins that were real sins, not like smoking. And I told myself, Galea, pull your head in. Stop judging. I had a plank about a mile long sticking out of my eyeball. Because remember, whenever, what is it? Whenever you speak to someone, always, let's say it together. Whenever you speak to someone, always assume you're the biggest. And wouldn't we get on better with each other if we actually adopted that principle? Imagine if you took that into your marriage, your friendships, church, work. Wow, we would so enjoy each other's company a lot more. Imagine if you, you approached it every time you went into a mall and you see people who are dressed dress differently or behaving a certain way or looking and, you, and that instinct to judge them, condemn them. Rather, what you ought to be doing is praying for them. Okay, but so how do I... How do we correct and rebuke? Because the Scriptures also say not just encourage one another, love one another. It actually says on occasions we need to correct and rebuke one another. And I think Paul's letter to the Galatians says it beautifully. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. He says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person how? Gently. Watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. There it is. So firstly, don't pretend. Sin is what it is. If it's, if it's a, a behavior that, that your, the dear brother or sister's fallen into that they haven't repented of, uh, name it for what it is. What is the goal? It's to restore them, not condemn them. How you speak to them? With gentleness. As one sinner saved by grace talking to another sinner Saved by grace. The warning there is be careful not to fall into the sin, either the same sin or the sin of pride, and then help carry each other's burdens. Not only help them, not only tell them to do the right thing, help them to do the right thing. Be there for them. Now, what's the opposite to all this? The direct opposite to that instruction would be the trolls on social media. (laughs) On social media, they who seek to condemn, not restore, they who speak harshly, not gently. Those who speak without grace, why? Because they have no sense of their own failure and filled with their own sense of righteousness are happy to condemn everyone but themselves. No, no. We in the Church of God, we've got to act differently. And how you act on social media should reflect that very same pattern. But you know what? Uh, Being wise is not the same as being judgmental. And so Jesus now understands there are times when we've got to make a hard call. And he says in verse 6, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. The good news does not always sound good to everyone you tell. For some, you never know what reaction you're going to get. Anything from, really? You're saved by grace alone? That God can forgive anything? Praise the Lord to, I've never heard anything more stupid in my life. How can you believe such rubbish? You just never know what you're going to hear. The response to the gospel can be joyful or it can be hostile, aggressive, angry, and consistently like that week after week, month after month, year after year to which sometimes the wise thing to say is to be silent. Otherwise, you're flushing diamonds down the toilet. Or as Jesus says, you're giving pearls to pigs. Not that kind of pearls to pigs. More like this kind of pearls to pigs, where they're just trampling the, the precious jewel of the gospel and you know, treading over it in the mud. Remember, you can't nag a person into the kingdom. You know that, don't you? That includes your loved ones. It is a work of God by the Spirit of God. That's why we pray. Judge less, pray more. Uh, My friend once wrote me a letter and he said, Dear Ray, if you don't stop talking to me about Jesus, we can't be friends anymore. Okay. Well, I had a choice. I could either stay his friend or, or not. And I said, I won't be talking to you about Jesus anymore. But I will be praying for you every week. Sometimes you can negotiate. When my sister walked away from Jesus, she was always afraid I was going to start a Jesus conversation with her. And so I could tell she was a little bit stressed. So I said, Liz, how about this? How about we pinpoint three times a year where we'll talk about Jesus and I'll leave you alone every other time? She said, that's fantastic, Ray. Let's do that. But I prayed for her every week. And 18 years later, I get an email from my sister. And she says, Dear Ray, I just want to let you know that I've recommitted my life to Christ on Easter Sunday. Praise the Lord. Judge less, pray more. Why? Because of the promise that is here. It is one of the most beautiful promises, so good we've got to say together. Verse 7 and 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives; the one who seeks, finds; and the one who knocks, the door will be open. That is such a precious promise to me. You know, it was the first promise of Jesus that I trusted. I uh, I was twenty, and my life had fallen apart. And I said, Jesus, if you're out there, and I don't know whether you are, and I don't even know if you exist, but if you are out there, I want to meet you. I know somewhere you said, ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open. So based on that promise that is supposed to come from your mouth, I'm going to come and I want to meet you. I'll read the Bible. You persuade me if it's true. And I'll give you three weeks because I'm not a patient man. (laughs) And that's exactly what he did. Through the course of the next three weeks, he made me fall in love with himself, with him. And uh And I I meant it, he meant it, and three weeks later I gave my life to Christ. I want to say to you, if you're here today, and if you've not yet put your faith in Jesus, that promise is inviting you. Jesus is inviting you, trust me, take me on my word, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and that door will be open. If you're serious about coming to me, I will reveal myself to you. And what that also means is don't give up on those who are opposing, those pigs who are trampling the pearls of the gospel. Well, they may be doing that now, but those who hate Jesus today may be loving him next year. So you keep praying for them. Why? Because Jesus says, ask and? Seek and you will? Knock and the? Okay. So let's take him at his word. Be optimistic. He's not hiding. He's not reluctant. But I tell you, when you come to prayer Your posture needs to be shaped by who you're praying to. I think sometimes our problems in prayer is because we keep forgetting who we're talking to. Let's be reminded of that in in verses 9 to 11. Jesus reminds us that he's like us, but he's better than us as fathers. He says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a what? Stone. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask you Think, but I don't know what your parents are like but even if they weren't that great parents seriously when you ask for rice for breakfast they didn't give you a rock to suck on did they when you ask for a mango lassie you didn't, they didn't give you a mud pie did they when you ask for a Christmas present they didn't drop a hand grenade on you did they And Jesus says, if your parents who are evil know how to give good, how much more? See, there's a a contrast and a comparison. You notice that verse? If you then, though you are evil, is that a shocking sentence? Because we normally think, if I do good things, therefore I'm good. Jesus says, oh, you can do good things, but I know what you're really like in your heart. He says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Your Father in heaven, give good good gifts to those who ask him. There's a comparison and a contrast there. The comparison is this. God the Father is like human fathers. He loves to give good gifts to his kids. But the contrast is, unlike your earthly fathers and mothers, he is not evil. He is only and always good. So he says, well, if they can do it and they're evil, how much more me, who is a good father and only does good? And like any good father, he will give you not always what you want, but always what you need and when you need it. And then Jesus finishes this section. It's almost a bit of a turn, really, but he says... Let me tell you what the overriding principle has been in the Old Testament about how we treat each other. It's the golden rule, Matthew 7:12. He says, "So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Now the golden rule, as they call it, is not so new. Um, Confucius, hundreds of years earlier, said something similar. Listen to what he said, "What you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others." And you'll find that in other religions. The difference is, Jesus says, it's not what you just don't do, it's actually what you do. The difference is, Jesus talks about it positively, proactively. Treat others Treat others like they were humans, just like you. That's what he's getting you to think about. Think about how you like to be loved, that's how you ought to love others. Think how you hate to be judged, yeah, then don't judge others. Too often, we're gracious with ourselves, but we're harsher with other people. Have you noticed that? We find excuses for my bad behaviour, but I don't give you any excuses for your bad behaviour. We talk about our pain and their sin, but we find it hard to talk about our sin and their pain. We hate the sin in others more than we hate the sin in ourselves. And Jesus' challenge to you this morning, this morning, this, oh almost, I've got one minute to go. This morning is this. Will you speak to others like they are humans, just like you? Will you approach them with the same commitment that you have instinctively towards yourself? It's an interesting way of, Think relating to people that will you value others in exactly the same ways you would want them to value you will you speak to others with the same kind of words that you would like them to speak back to you yeah in your heart of hearts you know, you know that's true look to the person next to you will you just for a moment find someone next to you just seriously I'm gonna, and repeat after me these words now look at me <laughs> I know you love me now oh, look at them. Okay, you got someone? Lock on. And say, you are a human just like me. We both share God as our creator. We are both made in the image of God. And I am to love you in the same way as I would like you to love me. Now, if you're sitting next to someone of the opposite sex who you don't know. (laughs) Awkward. Although I heard years ago there was a similar request by a preacher, and someone met their future husband. (laughs) So if, if there are any marriages flowing out of that one, that's the more broad love about doing unto others... Now, that's a, that is a profound principle. It's funny, as a preacher, you get to stew over these things for a long time. I'm thinking, wow, well, is that how I relate to people all the time? No, I don't think so. Okay, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm meeting their humanity. I'm wanting to relate to them in a way that, that I would want to be related by them. It's, it's a profound thing. But Jesus, what's interesting is, this is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Go to the end of his ministry on earth in the upper room on the night before he dies on the cross. And in the upper room, look what he says. He doesn't say, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. No, 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 no. He says, a new command I give you. What's that? Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Oh, no. See what he's done? He's raised the bar even higher. I want you to love each other to the extent that I have loved you. That command is dripping in blood, his blood, his precious, the blood of God himself who gave you his best when you were at your worst. Remember, he's called us evil. He gave us his best when we were at our worst. And he's saying, this is love of another kind. We love because he first loved us. So that every person you meet this week, Jesus wants you to look over their shoulder and see him with his scarred hands. And he's saying to you, if you can't love them for their sake, I know you can love them for my sake. If you can't love them for their sake, I know you can love them for my sake. Love them just as I have loved you. Can you imagine the church of Jesus Christ, rather than judging, loving each other, praying for each other, within each other, and then without. Now that's a community people want to join. That is the light and salt Jesus has been speaking about. May that be true for us. For this command is dripping in blood. Precious blood. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, precious Father, forgive us for hating the sin in others more than than our own sin. Forgive us for taking your place and playing judge over people with contempt. Help us to come to those who are struggling in sin humbly, gently, and always with an aim to restore. Help us to love others as we would want to be loved ourselves. And even more so, help us to love others just as Jesus loved us at the cross. Oh, we pray, Lord, transform us here at fellowship, we pray. For this command to love one another is now dripping in blood, the precious blood of our Lord Jesus. So help us to love one another just as as you have loved us. And we pray all this in Jesus' powerful name. And all the saints said, Amen. Amen. Let's praise our God in the next song.